Today's uh, reading is from the Gospel of John and commences in chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must, be- he must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives a spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. When you're reading a book or watching a film, do you ever strongly identify with one of the characters more than the others? Or if you're reading a descriptive section in a book, do you ever think, oh, I would like to be there? If you're watching a film and go, gosh, yes, that looks a really nice place. I can just imagine myself there doing and saying those things. Well, as we go through today's passage, the question I would like you to keep in your mind is where are you in this story? Because we see it's a story filled with choices. And what choices would you make? Where are you in this story? The story starts with a bit of rivalry, a bit of jealousy, as we've already spoken about. Now, rivalry and jealousy can only be too common, unfortunately, in our lives. If you're a football fan, you might be asked, who do you support? Here in Edinburgh, are you Hearts or Hibs? In Glasgow, the question would be Rangers or Celtic? bit of rivalry between those two sets of supporters, unfortunately, can get a bit out of control. And in churches, there can often be rivalry. Well, I go to this church. This is bigger and better than your church. I listen to my ministers better than your minister. You know, you might even have said some things yourself. Well, that's not how John Stott or Tom Wright or some other theologian says it. That's not how they did things in church when I was growing up. 
You know, I've even heard it said in a church, that's my job, not yours. Now, I'm sure none of these things would be said here. At least I hope not. But in our passage this morning, we do read about this rivalry, this tension between the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of Jesus. It's been said that this passage is the end of the beginning section. It sums up what's happened and it takes it a wee bit forward. The teaching and the testimony about who Jesus is that we've heard in the first three chapters, and then a glimpse of what we can expect in the rest of the gospel as we go through it over the next year. The first three chapters were full of testimony about who Jesus is, and we've started to see how people respond to Jesus. But this is also the final personal appearance of John the Baptist in this gospel, and this is his last recorded testimony regarding Jesus. Now, again, we first met John the Baptist back in chapter 1 when the Jewish leaders came to question him, asking him who he was. And in that, those verses, John was very clear about who he was and who he wasn't, if you remember. He said clearly he was the voice, the person making the way for the Messiah. And he then identified this man, Jesus, as being the Messiah, God's chosen one. So today we find Jesus and his disciples in the Judean countryside baptizing people. Now this is the only gospel which has an account of Jesus baptizing. But we then read at the start of the next chapter that it was his disciples that were baptizing people, not actually Jesus himself. And there's an argument starts between Jesus' disciples and a certain Jew And John's disciples go to John the Baptist to complain. Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is now going to him. Can you feel their indignation as they're starting to speak to John? They weren't happy that someone else was doing now what John had done, baptizing people. And they seemed even more upset that more people were now going to Jesus than had come to them. You can just hear them saying, we were doing that first. Why are they now taking over? They shouldn't be doing that. That's our task. Now, John doesn't just dismiss their complaints or give a glib answer. He gives quite a full answer, but an answer that's filled with humility and a sense of joy. John said, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. God had given John a very specific task. He was appointed to be the herald, the witness to the Messiah, the one who came first to point the way. And John never claimed anything else. He was happy with the task God had given him, and he's reminding his disciples of that. And he's reminding his disciples that he had heard John himself testify to the fact that he wasn't the Messiah, but the person sent ahead of the Messiah. John is very, very clear on his task and his mission. 
He knew what God had asked of him, and he was happy and content to fulfill that task and no others. Are we happy to fulfill the task that we are given and we don't envy others? John then goes on to talk about the bridegroom and his friend, the friend and the fact that the bride belongs to the bridegroom, not to the friend which would be the best man. Now, at a wedding, the best man doesn't complain that he's not the bridegroom or he wouldn't be a very good best man. He knows that his task is to make sure the bridegroom gets there on time and in a reasonable state and to see that all goes well and that the wedding happens. And the best man is happy when the wedding goes successfully. So John is comparing himself to the best man, to the friend of the bridegroom. And he is happy when it goes well for the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is Jesus. And there are many Old Testament passages that talk about Israel as being the bride of Christ. Isaiah says, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And Jeremiah says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land now sown. So with these words, John is identifying Jesus as being the bridegroom. This Jesus that he has already pointed us towards is Israel's king and the Messiah. And in the early church, in the post-resurrection church, we know we have the picture of Christ as the bridegroom and his church as the bride. We've often perhaps thought about that. We're not going to dwell too much on the bride today. It's really the bridegroom and the best man. The best man does play an important part in a wedding. And here, John the Baptist, as the best man, has played an important part in introducing Jesus the bridegroom, to his new church. And John is filled with joy that he has accomplished what God has asked him to do. His ministry has been successful. Some people might think, well, it wasn't really. It only lasted such a short time, and now look what's happened. But that was what was supposed to happen. The prominence of Jesus fills John with that deep joy. Because John goes on to say, he must become greater, I must become less. What a wonderful statement from John the Baptist. He acknowledges that Jesus will become greater than he was and that he would become less. For this is the will of God. And John is deeply content and he's filled with joy that he is actually starting to see this happen. There is no jealousy in John the Baptist. And this is what he's trying to convey to his disciples. He's wholeheartedly always embraced God's will for his life. He's kept nothing back from God. He's given all that God has asked of him. What has God asked of you? We've all been given a task to do by God. We are all called to follow him. 
and to obey him in all things. But each of us has been given something different to do. It wouldn't do if we were all asked to be the same, to do the same thing or to be the same type of people. Some might be asked to do large things in the public eye, to speak for God in the public square, sometimes only for a season. You might be asked to speak on the stage at the Keswick Convention. And as an aside, if you've never watched Keswick, it's still on for the next two weeks, and you could catch it on YouTube. You might be a world-famous theologian, write lots and lots of books. Everybody knows your name. But you might not be called to do that. You might be called to sit quietly in your pew week by week, doing the things of God around you. And that's important too. Both of these things are very important. The person that stands up proclaiming and writing books for God or the person that sits quietly week by week, praying, being a witness, helping others. For God asks different things of each of us. And we've not to compare ourselves to each other. We're not trying to vie and to fight against each other. We have only to be the best person that God asks of us. You're only comparing yourself to what God is asking you to do. And that's really important to try and remember. And even more important is that we're asked to find joy in that. Joy in whatever it is God is asking of us. We give to God all of ourselves so that he becomes greater, not you. And as the gospel continues, we will see that the way in which the different characters in the story of Jesus learn to play parts without pride, small parts without shame. C.S. Lewis says that this is really important, to play your great parts with pride, without pride, and your small parts without shame. There should be no pride and no shame in the service of God. And at the end of this gospel, Peter's reminded that what counts is not comparing yourself with other people, not seeing if your status is higher or lower than theirs, but simply following Jesus. Took the disciples a few goes at trying to get that as well. They did have that. that so who's going to get to sit next to you, Jesus? And that doesn't matter. We're all followers of Jesus. So where are you in this part of the story? Are you with the disciples of John, grumbling and complaining that someone else is taking over? Or can you say with John the Baptist, my joy is complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Moving on to the last few verses of the chapter, which is like a meditation by John, the writer of the gospel. It's a meditation that testifies as to who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. The one who comes from above is above all. Here John is talking about Jesus, the incarnate word that we read about at the very beginning of this gospel, who came from God, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. He is above all others and speaks and acts with authority 
from God. In a way that's completely different if you had as somebody who comes from earth. Jesus comes from heaven and has authority. For he was with God in the beginning and he is now living on earth. Jesus has an insight into God. For he knows things about God that someone from earth couldn't know. And he speaks with a different kind of authority, as we see throughout all his encounters in this gospel. So that's the first thing. He has authority because he is from heaven. And then God gives the spirit without limit. Jesus is different from other people. At this point in the story, he is the only person who has received the Holy Spirit without limit. If you remember at his baptism, the Spirit came and rested on Jesus, and it remained with him throughout his ministry. So from this point until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes to all his disciples, the Holy Spirit had only come and rested on a person for a short time. The Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit went back. But after Pentecost and today, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit being with each of us always. So God gives the Spirit without limit. And then the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. This is the first time in this gospel that we read about the Father loving the Son. The second comes in chapter 5, verse 20. The Father loves the Son and has given him not only the Holy Spirit in unlimited measure, but he's also placed everything in his hands. So God is a, Jesus is the perfect spokesperson for God, and he perfectly reveals God to us. So having set out again in these verses exactly who this man Jesus is, God's beloved Son, the Word incarnate, the one who knows God, and speaks of his word, and the one who has the Holy Spirit. The writer of the gospel finishes this initial part with a challenge, a clear statement of the only two choices there are, genuine faith or defiant disobedience. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We already thought about this earlier when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. And he tells him that whoever believes in Jesus would have eternal life, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. It's quite clear. There's no real ambiguity there. So back to our initial question. Where are you in this story? Are you one of John's disciples, grumbling because someone else is doing what you think you alone should be doing? Are you the friend of the bridegroom, happy when he is successful? Do you always point to Jesus? Do you know what you have been called to do for him? And are you happy and content with that? Have you given your all to Jesus? Are you happy to become less as he becomes more in your life?
Are you someone who has acknowledged that Jesus is the Word incarnate, sent from God and loved by the Father? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Are you someone who believes in Jesus, the Son, and you believe you will have eternal life? Or are you someone who's still not sure? Someone who has not yet given yourself fully to Jesus? The decision is yours to make, to accept and to follow, or to reject and turn away. And I think it's the most important decision you can make in your life. So where are you in this story this morning? Amen.